Hello and welcome to this episode of the Savvy Mama podcast. I'm Renee Verko, a mum of two, a financial advisor, the founder at Money Mode and now this initiative, the Savvy Mama, which is all about opening up the money conversation and making financial know-how more accessible and interesting. So on that note, I am super excited to be bringing you a money conversation today with Julia Newbold. Julia is the current editor-at-large of Australia's Money magazine, and she recently co-authored a book called The Joy of Money, the title of which says a lot for what she stands for. Julia is passionate about making the topic of money more freely talked about, and she has a real knack for communicating in a way that takes the complexity and the jargon out of it. She's been flying the flag for women's empowerment for some time and years ago founded an initiative called the Stella Network, which was all about empowering more women in financial advice with the underlying aim to make seeking advice more attractive and within reach for more women in our society. In our chat today, we break down the taboo of money, covering off on some of Julia's top tips and advice, things that you can be focusing on and what financial freedom is really all about. Julia Newbold, thank you so much for joining us today on the Savvy Mama podcast. Nice to talk to you, Renee. So, Julia, would you be kind enough just to share a little bit about your story and your passion for financial know-how and sharing your wisdom? Well, I guess to tell you a little bit more about why I'm so interested in empowering women, I think it was nearly 20 years ago now, I started going to a lot of groups of um, women in business, women in finance and so on. And not a lot had changed in the time from when I left university to that time. And I could see the really young women coming through and I could tell that they were thinking, well, you guys didn't get very far ahead because you're not as smart as we are. And I remembered that look was the same look that I had at that age. Mm. And so I started to get involved in trying to help women in business and women in finance and setting up the Stella Network, which was to help get more women into financial advice, was so that it would help, obviously, the women working in the industry, but it would also help women to get advice because they would see people that look more like them, speak their own language, and then that would propel them to see an advisor and try and understand finance better because I think that everybody needs to have some level of independence and not be dependent on other people for their happiness in any way. Mm. And the joy of money came about really because I was in a job thinking, how much longer do I need to be in this job? How much longer do I have to work this hard? How much longer before I can work in a more fun environment, do something I was more passionate about? And everything to me was about money then. I had to think, okay, so what can I actually afford to do? Mm. And when I spoke to other friends around the same age, they were thinking, well, how much do I have to do? How much longer do I have to do this job? When can I change careers? Can I move house? And all of that also came down to what can I afford? And so I think, you know, when Kate, my co-author, McCallum and I started talking about our friends and colleagues and her clients, you know, everybody was not quite sure of what their future was because they weren't really convinced about where they were today. So there needed to be an understanding of what you have today and how that can propel you to tomorrow. It is so important because often money isn't something that is talked about freely and openly and yet it is the oh, pivotal to 
the decisions that we make and big decisions that we make. That's right. And when you talk to friends, you know, you talk about intimate things, you might talk about relationships, sex, everything else, but you never talk about money. It's just like the final taboo. And I think women especially, there's a real reticence to talk about what they do with money. And even in relationships, women often take the back seat because they don't feel that they understand the language of money or investing even though they're probably most of the budgeting and spending. So in putting together the book, we thought one of the main things was the language. And women don't talk about money as money, but we do think about what we can do and what we want for the future. And that's how we set it up, really. It's the language of, you know, what are your values? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve in life? What do you want the legacy to be? And from there then you sort of fit money in where it needs to be. So Julia, obviously, you know, with knowledge is power and, you know, being able to know, you know, some of the key, I guess, learning some of those basics about money and being empowered about it allows us to make some of those really important decisions or give us the confidence to make those important decisions. If we could tap into some of the key lessons that you've got to share or some of the key advice, could you impart some of your knowledge with our listeners? What I've really come to realise lately in the last few months, working at Money Magazine and you know going through this whole COVID environment, it's that the old lessons really hold true. The most basic lesson that I could impart from the book, which sounds so ridiculous, is spend less than you earn because it's those savings that enable you to do anything. Mm. And I've heard working with financial advisors that it's actually not those people who are on the highest income that manage to do the most because people tend to spend up to their income. It's those who have a savings plan and an idea of, what they want to do in the future and manage to put something aside all the time. As you said, it's a really simple thing, but it's where I see most people falling down in my experience. You know, people get a pay rise and instead of saving a part of that pay rise, which yesterday they managed to do without, they spend up to that limit. People think they're in a new bracket and they're forced to be like everybody else around them, you know, take a better holiday, buy a better car, buy a bigger house, all those sorts of things. Mm. And I think that it's done unconsciously. You just kind of fall into those spending patterns by the people you're with. But if before that you've sat down and you've written a plan and you've talked about what's really important to you, then you're more likely to stick to the plan and look after yourself and do those lessons that you actually have heard in the past that will get you to have a better future. And whether the savings is, you know, sacrificing into your super or, you know, putting things into buckets, we always recommend the bucket system where you have a savings buffer and then you have your medium-term expenses, which might be, you know, savings for a holiday or a new car or something like that, and then you have your long-term expenses, you know, your investments and so on for your future. You know, it's that very basic step that I think if you can get that right and you can have money set aside for, um, you know, you've got your essentials taken care of and then you've, you know, put money into that bucket for for your longer term savings. You're sort of doing a good job of taking care of today and tomorrow. Yes, and I think, you know, 
when COVID hit so quickly and people lost jobs and lost income and very few people around me had a large enough savings account to draw on to help them survive. People are living on, you know, week to week or paycheck to paycheck because they haven't seen the need really to have that kind of emergency fund. I think if one thing that I hope that a lot of people can take out of this experience right now with COVID-19 is that, yeah, no matter what income level you're on, that you will build up a, an emergency savings bucket because I think it's made anybody and everybody realise that something could happen. Talking about the worst case scenario, what's your views around insurances and what's important for people to have in that space? Well, we do talk about insurance and, you know, for a lot of people, you'll never claim on your insurance. So you're very lucky. And I think you need to look at it that way. Not that it's a good financial decision not to have it because the chances are that nothing will happen to you. But that if you've paid insurance and nothing happens and you never have to claim on it, you're extremely lucky. But I think if you look at it, if something happens, what will happen to you and your family in the future? I think it's essential to get some level of insurance. If you're a single person and you think, well, I don't need life insurance, you know, I've got no one to leave stuff to, you at least need to insure your income because if something happens to you, what are your options? Are you going to move back with your parents? You know, something's got to make you survive comfortably. If you have an accident or an illness, and your expenses will go up in any case. So I think that you have to look seriously in a family situation. What would happen if a parent you know, lost their lives or could no longer work, how would that impact the rest of the family? And that's how you work out your insurance. I'm always astounded, you know, when I talk with people and no one hesitates to insure their car or their home. They think that, you know, those two things are their most valuable assets, which if you don't have an income, you can't have any of those things. I think a lot of that is actually because people don't know insurance. Mm, okay. You know, when I was a kid, people would come door to door and talk about insurance. Now, unless you see a financial planner, you've got some ads on TV and so on. It's just not quite as well known. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, even in my survey, I had a lot of people reach out and say, oh, I hadn't actually thought about it, but you've got me thinking now. I think one of the great things about women is we do talk about things. Mm. So if someone has a good experience and they talk about it to their friends, you know, that helps the next person, you know, to know that it's available, that someone had a good experience, they met someone good who could help them with it, you know, that's how it works. But how we talk about it in the book is, you know, during COVID times, you realise how unpredictable life really is. Mm. Something can really come out of the field that you couldn't previously imagine. We talk about the lucky duck, which is... A fairy tale scenario is you don't pay for insurance and you're very lucky because you never need it. And then the close call duck, you buy insurance, which is lucky because you do need to use it, and you're ill or injured, but your family has the security of a financial safety net. And then, you know, the dead duck really is the worst case scenario where you bet on not buying any insurance at all. You're ill or injured or, you know, whoever in your family dies and you and your family are under financial strain and no one wants to be in that outcome you know if something serious happens you've got enough to worry about Mm. you don't want money to be another yeah it's so true and you know most people can think of 
you know, cases where they know of families that um, have had to create GoFundMe pages or things like that because people have been through a tragedy. And that always breaks my heart because I think not only are you dealing with tragedy or a rough experience, but now you haven't got the financial backing to help cushion that. I've just gone through actually myself and had to, you know, change my insurers. I, you know, left jobs and so on. And so I had to, you know, get it all redone. It's so hard to do without a financial advisor. Mm. It's an area where you really do need help, I think. And if you go to a financial advisor for nothing else, the insurance is so important. I mean, I see that. I think just um, nurturing people through a pre-underwriting process, which basically, you know, getting you assessed to make sure that you are going to be covered at time of claim. Because there are, as as you said before, a lot of policies out there that you can buy off the TV that, you might think you're covered, but you actually may not even get your insurance at time of claim because they haven't underwritten you. You may have some pre-existing medical conditions or something along those lines and that is a, a get-out clause for some insurers not to pay. So I, I'm with you on that. I think it's a really important area for, for people. You know, to people think they're insured with their superannuation and to an extent they may be, but probably not to the fullest extent. And mm. so I think that's a good area to look at. What about super? That's something that we hear uh, a lot about. It's the thing that we often don't want to think about until we get close to retirement. And women's super balances seem to be a hell of a lot lower than men's. What would be some of your tips and advice around super and engaging with our super? Well, obviously, the earlier you engage, the better. But I think, unfortunately, we all don't really look at our super until we are getting close to retirement and it becomes a sizable sum. So either you start hitting a sizable sum earlier or you have to reach, I would say, probably 45 is when people start to think, okay, what have I got? What am I looking at? But I think, well, the research has shown that if you put in more when you're younger, you've got all that time of compounding and getting interest on the interest on the interest that builds up your super balance in a way that if you leave it later, you can't do. So I would say, you know, get involved with your super, have a look at what it is, have a look at where it's invested and try and keep interested. Is it growing? Is it doing what you wanted it to do? Because when you do get close to retirement and you're looking at what you have to live on, this is a big part of it. You know, it it may mean the difference between you living in the home you've lived in your whole life or having to move into another area. Yeah, I think it's, you know, really good advice and and the earlier you can engage with it, the better. I know, as you said, a lot of people don't engage with it until they're getting close to retirement and the earlier you can do something, the better. Well, you know, people have said to me, what was it like in the GFC? You know, Mm -hmm. did you look at your super then? And I thought, well, not really, because I didn't have enough in and I was so much younger and further away from retirement. I, I can't remember what happened to it at that time. I know that it went down, but I'm not quite as focused as I certainly am now. You know, one of the, um, I think with, with women too, if if you take time out of the workforce to have children or you have a career break or something like that, you know, that can have a significant impact on on your balance and your contributions in that period of time. And I think that's probably one of the key reasons why our balances are typically lower than oh, men's. And there's the gender pay gap as well. So, mm. you know, there's that and then the time out of the workforce. 
but I think, you know, we've still got to be aware of super because it's such a good environment tax-wise and there is the ability to earn more and have it grow more quickly in that environment than anything outside. I think obviously it's got to be balanced with other expenses and mortgage and so on, but it is a vehicle that we do need to pay attention to. And I think, you know, in most relationships, you know, why isn't it the same? You know, try and equal it where you can. Try and salary sacrifice where possible. Any little bit helps. Julia, what are some of the mistakes that you see people making? I think one of the main mistakes is really to do nothing and to, you know, put your head in the sand and think this is too hard and not get onto it. I think, you know, anything that you can do to add to your eventual wealth or what you're doing now can help. You know, just a little bit of savings each week can build you to have a better holiday or to let you have choices further down the track of, you know, where you're living or what job you're taking and and so on. And I think to think that you might not be earning enough to save, it's a bit of an unfortunate situation because you can always make some sort of change. Mm. And, you know, working at Money Magazine and people are very focused on, you know, what their spending is, whether it's, you know, on the electricity bill or on car insurance or whatever it is. Every, everything that you manage to save, you can funnel somewhere else. And if you funnel into something that's going to make a positive change, you know, buy a few shares, put money um, in your super, pay your mortgage quicker, it's all to your advantage. What I really want to know, Julia, is what does financial freedom mean to you? Because I find that this financial freedom, I, a lot of people can switch off and engage. And I know in reading your material, it's something that is really important. But talk to us about what financial freedom means. For me, financial freedom is all about having choices. Having choices of where you work, how much you work, what you do, uh, where you're able to have holidays independence in a relationship um, and all of that is important. It's the ability to, you know, even in retirement, choose when you want to retire, choose um, what kind of retirement you want, choose what kind of holidays you want to be able to do. And for me, my passion is theatre and, you know, books and the arts and can't really go to the theatre right now, but I want to be able to do that for as long as I possibly can. So I want to have the money to enable me to you know, live out my passions. And I think really it's the same for anyone, whatever your passions are, whether it's to send your kids to private schools, have an annual holiday overseas, whatever it is, making conscious decisions about your money Mm. so that you're not frittering it away in ways that you're not even really appreciating, but you're making sure you're able to do the things that really mean a lot to you. Yeah, I I would love to see so many more people you know, being able to feel financially free and it doesn't matter what level of income they've got or what level of assets they've got. It's really about being yeah, empowered with, with your own finances and, and that's a lot of what your your book talks to too, um, doesn't it? It's about, you know, it doesn't matter what the what your starting point is um, or what you did yesterday. It's never, never too late to start. No, and, you know, I hear stories all the time of people who say, well, I bought the smaller house because I didn't want to have that financial commitment hanging mm. over me all the time. Mm. And I think, well, that's a great conscious decision. Yep. You kind of know that if you didn't do that and you bought the bigger house and you had a bigger mortgage, you're going to be tied to it for longer and, you know, your choices will be reduced. And I think any kind of conscious spending like that is great. 
Julia, it's been a real delight talking to you today and I think there is so much that we could cover. We might be able to do another one of these in the future. Where can we find The Joy of Money? Um, it's available at all good bookshops. It's available at local bookshops. It's available at the big sellers. It's available at the W, Book Depository, Booktopia and through um, Bauer as well as the publisher. And who have you written the book for? I guess the book really, while the lessons are no different between men and women and what they should do with their finances, the book's really written in language for women. And we just hope that women will pick it up and feel a bit more confident to make some decisions about their finances. And whether it's just one part, whether it's insurance or super, or just making sure that they're more um, consciously spending. We just want to make sure that we're enabling people to live their best lives consciously. Well, I think it's an incredible thing that you've that you've both done, you and Kate, and I hope it's a, a huge success because it deserves to be. What's next for you? We'd like to sort of look at some of the things that we've raised already in the book and, and write another one. Um, you know, how else we look at money, I guess, in the frame of relationships. It's a really important one. <laughs> Well, Julia, thank you again for your time and um, really appreciate it in your, your busy schedule. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode of the Savvy Mama podcast. I have really enjoyed chatting with Julia today. She's got a lot of knowledge and wisdom and experience to share and we've only just touched the surface in this episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review or rating. All the details about Julia's book and where you can find it will be in the show notes. Take care and thank you for joining us.